Depression is real in our culture, and it's probably real in the life somewhere of your family, either in, in historically or in what's going on today. Because of that, I think we need to understand what the Scripture says about it, how to deal with it productively, and see what we can glean from the Word of God in terms of where we turn, how we turn, and how we move beyond that. Job and Moses both suffered from depression, as many do in our culture. In fact, according to Healthline.com, one in ten people that you come across have experienced depression at some level. Uh, Tennessee is in the top seven states in America for cases of diagnosed depression. That most often occurs between ages 45 and 64. However, as you probably saw in yesterday's paper, it's occurring more and more with teenagers. And suicide is, is the growing result of, of teenage depression and depression among young folks, young, younger folks at least. Um, women are twice as likely as men to suffer from depression. And just between, and it's been a few years ago, it's, it's probably ballooned since then, but just between 2005 and 2008, diagnosed cases of depression grew 400% in our culture. It's a problem. And... <clears throat> <clears throat> Excuse me. There is, as a result of that, been an incredible in, in increase in the use of antidepressants uh, and, and psychotropic med- medicines in our culture. Some of which are needed, not, not all of which are bad. We are we're spiraling. Our culture is spiraling because I, I think because of the body, in part, because the body of Christ doesn't know how to come around depression. We don't know how to deal with that. We don't know how to embrace that. We don't know how to help help help, help people walk through a uh, a valley that looks sometimes too dark. How do I, how do I, what do I glean? Is there something to glean from this? And first of all, all, all I'm looking for today is escape. But is there something gleanable? Is there something redeemable? Something that I can learn from depression that I couldn't learn at any other place through any other circumstance? And I think the answer to that is yes. Turn to Psalm, if you will, chapter 32. We're going to answer the what, why, or I actually allow scripture to answer the what, why, and how questions of depression. Then toward the end of our message, we'll get into the fact that, uh, there's some deliverance, and how, does, how, how and where does deliverance come from? We'll look at that as well. Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4 speak to this fact of answering the what question is most often about how I feel. Let's look at these verses. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. It's a description in David's life of depression and what he, the, the, the path that he walked there. What he was describing here, here <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> was, <clears throat> and this is this, this uh, is true in most cases of depression. It was true in Vince's life. It's true in most folks, folks that I've had any knowledge of or any dealing with, and that's this. What I feel supersedes what is real. And when I, when, and that gets to a dangerous place because if my life is centered around and walking around this idea of feeling trumps what is real, that's, that's, the enemy can use that in, in, in great and significant ways in our life. So, and, and he does so because he wants us to feel isolated and alone. And truth are, in fact, most, the truth of most folks who suffer depression, there are people around their life, they just don't know how to engage it. And so the enemy will say, they don't want to deal with this. They don't want to deal with you. Just keep this to yourself. Keep your mouth shut. Stay over here in your corner. 
You'll get better one of these days. Just stay over and keep, keep out. They don't understand. And they, they never will keep this to yourself. And so consequently, we feel isolated and alone and, alone and <clears throat> in places where uh, it seems like God's not around. Nobody else is around. How do I get, how do I dig myself and find myself out of this pit? When in reality, Joshua 1, 5 says, he says to us, I will never leave you or forsake you. You know what never means? It means never. He will never, ever, ever, ever under any circumstances leave and forsake his own. He's promised to do that in scripture again and again. Joshua 1, 5 speaks to that as, as do others. And so when, and there's times like this in my life, in your life, we don't feel saved. <clears throat> There's been instances in my life, you probably have occurred, this has occurred in your life. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Sorry for all this drainage today, but you're, you're just blessed to deal with it with me. Um, there are times when I don't feel saved. There have been days in my life when I don't feel married. You know what? I'm still saved, and I'm still married. I don't feel that way in the moment, but the reality is, I, uh, that's, that's, that's the reality of my life. I'm, I'm still saved and I'm still married. Sometimes you go through life, you don't feel loved. The reality is you're probably still as loved as, you, as you've ever been, but you don't feel love. So what is true versus what is real, what is felt versus what is real is this, this place where we have to slice one from the other. How do we do that? Well, we need to remember that a past promise always trumps a present perspective. A past promise, and there are tons of them in the scripture. I just shared one with you from Joshua 1 5 about God's presence, the promise of his indwelling, the promise of his, his abiding. Again and again and again, scripture speaks to that. A past promise, a promise from his word, is, should, at least in our life, always trump a present perspective. And I say perspective because the reality is our life may be no different than when we, before we walked into to a state of depression, yet we see it seems different to us because it feels different to us. The reality is nothing's changed. Maybe my circumstances have a little bit, but the reality is nothing's changed. And while I'm at that, let me let me delve on these four, at least in light, it's these four avenues by which depression usually occurs. It is more often either situational, meaning there are financial circumstances in place, there are relational circumstances in place, there are illness, loss, those kind of situational things can lead to depression. Not only can, is it situational, it can be environmental. Uh, some events, as the deal as he shared with you, was environmental. In the home that he grew up in, he saw that, that exist in, in, in the life of his, of his family. So when we see, <clears throat> see and are walking in those environments, it's difficult to see anything else. It's difficult to understand anything else or perceive anything else. It is situational. It is environmental. It's, it, it can sometimes, as he alluded to, certainly in his mom, be chemical. Now, I have a... a Doctor of psychology friend Jim, who shares, who has shared with me that he believes that's about ten percent of most states of depression that there is chemical imbalance going on, before which medicine needs to be prescribed, and it, 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 it is it is it is helpful in, the, in those cases as well, again and again. But in its situation, it's environmental, it's chemical. But get this, don't miss this. It is always, 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 all, whether it's one of these three or more, it is always satanic. Depression is always satanic. There is always a satanic influence. Is the situational truth there? Yes. Are the environmental truths there? Yes. Can the chemical truths be there? Yes. And he will, he will insert himself into all three of those. At any point he can. All he needs is an opening. So 
when we when depression seems to feel like our strength is gone, our energy is gone physically, as, as Vince described earlier, emotionally, spiritually. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength. I don't feel his refuge, yet he is still our refuge. It doesn't seem so today, yet that is still true. Why? Because God is true as his word. He is always true to his word. And so because that's true, he is our refuge, whether I feel his refuge or not. The reality is he's got me. And he's got this situation. He is my refuge. Always has been, always will be. And so if that's true, then it helps to navigate my way around this why being uh, centered around my feelings. But feelings are dangerous to trust in, in, in the reality of life. And so that oftentimes answers the what question. The why question is most often answered as it being a lesson in futility. Turn to Job with me, if you will, uh, when you see some a couple of verses here in Job chapter 3. Another example in Scripture that certainly suffered from depression. Job chapter 3, verses 20 to 26 says this. Why is light given to those in misery and life to the bitter of soul? To those who long for death that does not come, who search for it more than for hidden treasure, who are filled with gladness and, and rejoice when they reach the grave. Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For sighing comes to me instead of food. My groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. Here Job is asking this question, why, why, why? And that's, that question pervades every, every person I've ever known of that's walked through and deal with a, a, a situation of depression. And that is, <clears throat> why me? Or in, in the case of a family member, why them? And why now? Why me? Why her? Why him? And why now? Now, the beauty of this is, is this. The, the, the why questions are seldom answered, certainly answered like we'd like to in, in, in a timely way, timely way as we'd like for that to be answered. God knew that Job's faith could stand this test. In fact, he tells him in chapter 1 as Satan comes to visit to say, have you considered my servant Job? Job can withstand whatever you throw at him. Why, how do I know that? Because I, I, I authored his faith. I put, faith, I put the, the, the root system in him to be able to weather this storm. Let, let's let's <clears throat> let this test, <clears throat> excuse me, an attack occur. Now, though it often has one, depression doesn't need a, a wide open door. All the enemy needs is a crack. And he finds his way in the crack to, to where the crack starts to expand. And, and it, it goes from being this to being this to being this. And depression is suddenly bigger than us. And we find ourselves in a place of, that we feel at least out of control. How do, how do I manage the circumstances of this? Because it's affecting my job, it's affecting my marriage, it's affecting my kids, it's affecting my parenting, it's affecting my friendships. I've lost this relationship, I've lost that one. I've, I've severed this and that. And so depression doesn't need a reason. There usually is one, but it doesn't need a reason. All it needs is an avenue for the enemy to engage in whatever situation, to elevate it and escalate it bigger than what it is. And he always does that. And so it may be situational, as we discussed earlier, in terms of health, loss, whatever circumstances. It may be environmental in terms of what, what we've seen, the, the, the environment we've grown up in. But whether, it's, whether, whether it is either of those, it, it is, as I said earlier, it is always satanic. It is always a work of the enemy to, to keep us uh, in, in a state of uh, numbness, in a state of, uh, and that, those were some conversations Vince and I had, of just the numbness of, I didn't seek this out. 
I don't know how to get out, and I'm just here. And all I know is, 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 is this day-to-day situation I find myself in, and it's numbing me. I can't feel. I don't feel love. I don't feel, and we feel, find ourselves in, in, in a numbed state. So trying to answer, I believe, this why question is always a lesson in futility. Because the better question than why is what? God, what is this about? I know you don't allow anything into my life that's not for my good. I know you either, you either caused this or allowed this. You brought it into my life as you did Job, or you've allowed circumstances to occur for me to walk this road one way or the other. And so if that's the case, what am I to glean? What am I to learn? What am I to take away? What am I to, what, what am I to find out about you that I could, have, could otherwise have never known apart from this situation, these circumstances? There's always an answer to the what question, and God will usually, over a fairly close period of time, let you see that. Now, the why question may be answered as well, but it may not come weeks, months, sometimes years down the road until two more kids come into your life. You start to be able, be able to answer the why questions until circumstances present themselves in a way to where, ah, that's what God was up to. This prepared me for that. This day is for is because of what of the valley I walked in. And I'm convinced of this, that most people I've known that have experienced depression there's always someone around their life, around their world, in their sphere of influence that they can minister to. It's going to happen sooner or later to somebody around me. Why? Because that's the, that's the nature of life. That's the nature of how the enemy works. And God has planted me in that situation for them. And the easier it is for me to see that and, and press into that and walk into that, the more God will accomplish. But, but the why question is, 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 as I say, a lesson in futility. The what question is the proper question to answer because God is always up to something. He is always up to something. Never forget that. What, why, and then how. How does this most often occur? It's, it is most often circumstantial. Turn to Numbers, if you will, chapter 11 with me. We're going to see this example here with, uh, with Moses. Numbers chapter 11, verses 10 to 15 says this. Moses heard the people of every family wailing, uh, each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put this burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on the oath of their forefathers? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing at me. Give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people my, myself. My burden is too heavy. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, put me to death right now. If I have found favor in your eyes, do not let me face my own ruin. Moses found himself in a state of depression because this word trouble is, is, is the Hebrew word rahwa, which means affliction or depression. He found himself in a, in a state of depression here, and, and, the, and the depression was circumstantial. God had placed him in a position of leadership. And boy, the pressure was turned up and ratcheted up uh, in significant ways. But he allowed the circumstances, Moses did, to get to a point of severity. He could have fended this off as it was occurring, but he allowed it to get to a point of severity. Where's, we need meat. We need, did, you brought us out, did you bring us here to starve us? Where is your God and where is your leadership? In essence, what the nation of Israel was saying to him and his response was, God, <laughs> what's this about? Why did you get me in this situation for these people? I, I, can't, I don't have the wherewithal to deliver what these people need. This, this burden is too great for me to bear, he says here. So he, he lost perspective on, on the how. Uh, it was more focused on his feelings and how he felt than the reality of the fact that God was in charge. And if God's in charge, he always has a plan and a purpose and design as to what he's up to. 
He got overwhelmed. Ever been overwhelmed? I get overwhelmed regularly sometimes. Uh, if you're a parent, you've been overwhelmed because it's it, it, the, the reality of carrying a baby out of a hospital, taking it inside the house, inside the roof of your house, is kind of overwhelming. To, at least it was for me to figure out <laughs> now what? You know, now what? This person is my responsibility to nurture and care for and feed and clothe and push to Jesus and, and help help learn how to deal with people and help. And that that fall, and you you feel that pressure and it's easy to get overwhelmed and that's where Moses found himself. I don't have a wherewithal to deal with this. You didn't. I, I don't have the gift set, the gift mix to deal with all this. Yet here's where I find myself, and the circumstances overwhelm me. But get this, God always allows, or sometimes desires, in Job's life as an example. God always allows us to get to the end of us in order to see all of Him. He allows us to get to the end of us, and that's where exactly where Moses was to get to the end of ourself, to see all of him. So the question begs on, on the response to that truth is this. Where's the end of you? How far does it take you to get to the end of you? What circumstances have to be in play? How many failures have to occur? How much frustration has to be there to get to the end of you? Because the end of you is where you find all of him. If you can manage it, you can keep the plate spinning, you can make this work, you don't need him. And all of us have been in, in those situations before. When I get to the end of myself and there's not a plate in the air anymore, and I find myself incapable of making this work, I find out how capable he is. I find out how faithful he is. I find out how much of a God of design he is. He's got purpose to all of this. And so uh, the answer to the how question is that it is most often circumstantial, but God God is always up to something to use our circumstances to push us to him and to bring glory to himself. But sadly, sometimes we have to get to the end of ourselves to see that. Uh, we've several of you have shared prayer requests with me of, of folks, either family members or friends that have addiction issues. And more often than not, my response to you has been, I'll pray that they get to the end of themselves. I'll pray that they get deep enough in the pit. That the only person they can see looking up is God, that I can't make this work anymore on my own. So that's exactly where God found Moses, exactly where Moses needed to be found. So, the, the, the what, why and how questions are, are often answered in those ways, but deliverance is where, where I want to see now. Deliverance comes, first of all, in seeking God's plan. Look at the same, same chapter of Numbers 11, verses 16 and 17. The Lord said to Moses, Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting, that they may stand there with you. I will come and speak with you there, and I will take of the Spirit that is on you and put the Spirit on them. They will help you carry the burden of the people so that you will not have to carry it alone. God has a plan. God wanted Moses to see that he was void of any strength, void of any capability to make this work. And he got Moses to the end of himself to cry out and say, I can't do this. I just can't do this. The trouble, the oppression, the the, the affliction, the depression that's in my heart makes me want to see death. That's what we read in those earlier. Will you bring death to me? Death is, is is a greater resolved in what I'm seeing now. And so he warned Moses to get to the end of himself to, to, to see that he's void of any capability to make this function on his own, to make this work on his own. That's exactly where Moses is. He wanted to help Moses to see you needed his help from the beginning. This didn't start today. You didn't get yourself in this, in this shape and in this boat today. You needed to see this help was potentially yours from the beginning. We'll never see that God has a plan if we're always asking why. Now, Job does that in Job 42, 5 and 6. He says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. 
Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. I had heard of your, 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 your possible deliverance, but now I've seen it. I've experienced it. I've, I've seen it in your face. I've seen it in, your, in, in the circumstantial change in my life. I've seen your hand at work, in essence, in my life. I've seen it, and I, and I repent of this idea of me and myself and life being about me. I repent in dust and ashes from that. Realizing that God has a purpose and a plan will never occur until we realize the reality the ultimate reality of Emmanuel, of God with us. In fact, not beyond God with us in the Old Testament, God in us. Uh, that's, exactly, that's exactly Moses' situation. He's not just for us. His word says God is for us. But his word also says God is in us in terms of the Holy Spirit abiding in us to, to, to guide, to direct, to, 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 to push, to prod, to urge. To, and, for, and the quicker we see God in me is, is, is my way out of circumstances that have overwhelmed me circumstances that have said to me, there's never a way out. And the enemy again and again and again says, where's your God? And he's saying, I never left. I never left. You were focused on you and your life and your world and your circumstances and your deal instead of looking for me in the middle of all of that. If you'd looked for me in the middle of all that, you would have seen me much quicker than crying out as, as Job did in dust and ashes. He is not only for us. He is with us. He is in us as well. Seeking God's plan is how deliverance comes. Secondly, turn to Psalm uh, 139, if you will. I want you to see here as we close. Deliverance comes in seeing God's presence. Psalm 139, verses 7 to 10 says this. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Wherever you go, that's where I am. Here's what I want you to hear today. If this is, if this is touching a, a nerve in your life or a nerve in a family member's life, what I want you to hear and be able to share with them is this. There is no depression deep enough, no valley deep enough, there's no pit deep enough, there's no depression dark enough, there's no, there's no circumstance bleak enough that God doesn't find himself in the middle of it. Never. He is always in the middle of it. Why? Because he wants to use it for your good and for his glory, to deepen your faith and the evidence of your faith to others. Brings him glory. There's, there's no pit that's deep enough that he's not in the middle of. There's no, there's no depression dark enough that you can't see a way out. Listen to these words in Romans 8, verses 35 to 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Love this, love this passage. Shall trouble or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, poverty in essence, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, or anything else in all creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Incredible, incredible promise. If you're walking through a dark place, those are verses you need to memorize. If you have family members walking through a dark place, those are verses they need to memorize and take to heart. Job said in verse 13, uh, Job 13, 15, I've lost everything, yet he's the only one I'm going to trust. That's my paraphrase. He, 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 he said literally, though he slay me, though he take my very life, I'm still going to trust in him. He is still the point of which I, he's, he's, not, he's my focal point. He's the point to which I look when life doesn't work. Why, what, what, where. 
He's the point to which I looked when, when, my, when things fall apart, when life crumbles. And Job lost it all. He lost everything and found himself in a depressed state, sitting out on an ash heap, scraping his sores. And he finds himself with the strength to say, if he takes my life, I'm still his. If he takes all that I have, which he has, I'm still his. I'm his regardless of my circumstances. My hope is still in him. <coughs> and as I ask this question to Vince, and as I've asked it of others over the years, where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? What's going to deliver you other than him? What's going to make sense other than him? What's going to be, where is there going to be reason other than him? Where are you going to find purpose other than, other than him? Where are you going to find direction to this, that there's, there's design to this that God wants you to see? Where are you going to find that other than him? Where are you going to go? To a bottle? To a pill? Into another relationship? Where are you going to go? Let me know how that works out because it never does. He says these things are designed to draw us to himself, to draw us for us to see a side of him that we could never otherwise see apart from those states. Now, how do we face down the fear of depression? Here's two observations as we close, and that's this. One is to never, ever lose sight of his presence. The enemy will always get us into the corner thing and ask us the question in the corner, where's your God? And, and the premise of that question is this. I had a conversation this past week about this. <clears throat> the premise of that question is this. The premise of that question is we feel like right, the enemy has conditioned us and our culture, our culture has followed suit to, to, to make us think life is supposed to work here. Things are supposed to work. Life's supposed to fit. I'm supposed to be happy and fulfilled and, 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 and live, live free and live uninhibited. When in reality, this book says, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. And Jesus himself said in John 8, in this world, you will have trouble. But the end of that says, but take heart. I've overcome the world. He's saying here, you're not supposed to fit here. This is not supposed to work here. Heaven is heaven and nothing else is. Heaven is heaven and nothing else comes close. And so lest we think life is supposed to work here and function here and, and we're supposed to be happy and fulfilled and, and full of joy and, and we, we can be those things in Christ circumstantially. We can be those things in Christ spiritually in the, even in the midst of bad circumstances. But our design is for there. Our design to live full and free ultimately is there. And so we'll never ever experience that here. So we have to have our eyes set on a prize that is bigger and further and deeper than anything we experience here. How do we do that? We all walk in the reality that we never lose sight of the presence of God. The presence of God makes this make sense, makes that make sense, makes it gives us understanding here and there and in another deal. Why? Because that's his design. He wants us to see and lean on and depend on ultimately him. Sometimes we have to get to the end of ourselves to do that. But that's his goal is to say, reach out to me. I, I, I've got design to this. I've got purpose to this. I've got direction to this. So never lose sight of his presence. But secondly, never wonder if he has a plan. Never, ever wonder if he has a plan. God always has a plan. He's got a plan for every circumstance and design for every circumstance for you. He's got a design for every conversation you'll ever have, ever have ever had. He's got design for everyone that comes across your path tomorrow, the day after that. He's got design to everything in your life. God has a plan. And he works through circumstances and through others to, for us to see and for that plan to be revealed to, in terms of, ah, that was about this and that was about this. And this depression was about these two kids coming into my home. That's what God was up to. I would have never been open to that before. God is always up to something. He always has a plan. He's working through the circumstances of your life. And it, here's 
another huge thing I want you to always see. God is always up to something bigger than you and bigger than this. He is always up to something bigger than you and bigger than this. Why? Because it all, our life touches the lives of other folks. There's a ripple effect to every decision we make. There's a ripple effect to every, every place we walk. It's always bigger than us, deeper than us, farther than us. God is always up to something around the, around the circumstances, the periphery of our life because there's a ripple effect to the decisions and the consequences that come from them. So never forget, never lose sight of his presence, and never wonder if he has a plan. Here's some practical things you can do in the life of someone in your world that's suffering from depression. Take the, take the things you've written down today and plug those into circumstances of our life. Plug those into the, to, 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 to the oppression from the enemy. Plug those into the, how you feel versus what is real. Plug those things into present reality, either in your life or the life of someone who suffered from that, and walk with them through the hard place. Because I'm going to tell you this. God can instantaneously deliver the depression. I believe that wholeheartedly. But I've seen that he seldom does. Can he? Absolutely he can. He can do anything he wants to do, anytime he wants to do it. But seldom does he do that. Why? For us to see the reality of the end of ourself being all of him. He wants us to see and experience that reality. So, so we, would, we, would, we would more greatly see that from the pit than we would from the mountaintop. We would more greatly call on him, be in need of him from the pit than we would from the mountaintop. And that's his design. That's his purpose. That's what he's up to. God always has a plan. It is always bigger and broader than what we can see. Sometimes we may see it here. We will, we will ultimately see it there. But he's always up to something. Depression is real. It's going to touch your life, whether it has or not. Yet, it will. If it hasn't, it's going to touch your life and the life of someone around you. Learn how to deal with it, to say, God is always up to something. And walk with someone through a hard place to say, I don't have the answers, but I know who does. I don't have the solutions, but I know where to find them. And if we're walking through someone in a hard place, they will ultimately <clears throat> be able to push the enemy back and say, not today, or at least not in this moment. <laughs> Now, 10 minutes later, I'm going to have to push you back again, but not in this moment, not today, not here, not in my life, not now, not now. And the not now moments turn into not now hours, and the not now hours turn into not now days, and the not now days turn into, turn into months and years to where we, we are consistently finding a way by way of the Word of God and the power of the Spirit in us to push back against the enemy and say, no, not here, not today, not in me. Tomorrow's a different story, but not today. He is always in every form of depression we've ever experienced or anyone has, has ever experienced. It is always satanic. It may be circumstantial, it may be environmental, it may be chemical, but it's always satanic. And he is the enemy, not the persons around us. Let's pray. Father, today, help us to press into and lean into the fact that others around us are hurting. Sometimes it may be us. There, there are seasons of life that, that we don't understand, and the enemy says, where's your God? And so we feel abandoned, but we're not. We feel abused, though we're not. We feel unloved, though we're not. We feel lost, though we're not. Because we've bought the lie again and again from an enemy that says, your life is supposed to work. You're supposed to be happy. You're supposed to be fulfilled all the time. You're supposed to reach all of your dreams every day. And in this world, you said we'd have trouble. How we walk through the trouble is how evident you become in our life and through our life to the lives around us. Will you give us the wisdom today to see those moments are gleanable, redeemable, purposeful moments? Those moments are, are hard places where we see a side of ourselves and a side of you that we could never see apart from them. 
Help us to walk in that, in that place today where the power of your word and the power of your spirit become real to us as opposed to the fact that we can't feel them anymore. They're still there because God promised that they would be. Teach us that truth today. Teach us how to lean into and press into the lives of others around us that need to hear that truth and see that truth and love them back to you. Deliverance comes as we find ourselves in a place of obedience. Deliverance comes as we find ourselves walking in the truth of the fact that you have design, you have a plan, you have a purpose to these things, and I want to see them, I want to know them, because I want to ultimately be able to share them with someone else walking this same road. That's what you're doing in us today. Do that in us so that you can do that through us and also around us. In Jesus' name, amen.